listening to episode 39 of Paz de Chipotle. I'm your host, Rocío Carvajal, food history writer, cook, and author. And on this podcast, I explore the gastronomic traditions of Mexico and bring together the voices of cooks, authors, and entrepreneurs who build cross-cultural bridges around the world championing Mexican food. To find more information about the podcast, please go to pazdechipotle.com. You can subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Player FM, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. You can tell so much about a nation just by having a closer look at the food people eat, the ingredients, cooking methods, and also the flavors and dishes people prefer really tell the story of every place. Paraphrasing journalist Tom Sandage, our choices reflect our cultural heritage. They express our desires and even the politics and economy of our homelands. So that indigenous Mayan communities in Mexico eat European pork marinated with oranges from China and serve it on plantain leaves from Africa is incredibly telling of the transformation that gastronomy has undergone throughout the centuries. And it of course reflects our own human history. A history of travel, conquest and exploration. Remembering the words of food anthropologist and previous guest of the show, Yolene Benjamin, food traditions have existed long before nations were ever invented, which is why I really like UNESCO's definition about intangible heritage of mankind. Because when certain manifestations are so deeply meaningful and enriching, they transcend borders and language barriers and should be celebrated as the common good of humanity they are, just like Mexican food is. Today, we continue with the second installment of the gastronomic regions of Mexico. So get those sunglasses out, because we are heading to the Southeast and Mexican Caribbean, where native indigenous traditions, along with Spanish, African, Asian, European and Middle Eastern foodways, collided in the tropical kitchens of this corner of paradise. I hope you enjoy this episode. The southeastern part of the Mexican territory is flanked by the exuberant coastlines of the Gulf of Mexico, the Mexican Caribbean, and deep south with the Pacific Ocean. And some states even have access to both the Gulf and the Pacific Oceans. The Eden-like states that are part of this corner of Mexico are Campeche, Chiapas, Tabasco, Yucatán, and Quintana Roo. They are the ancestral home of several ancient cultures, such as the Olmec and Maya. And while they are hundreds of miles away from central Mexico and the capital, the history and many important events that developed in this region are equally fascinating. But not only that, delicious contributions to the national cookbook and to the rest of the world have originated here and are still celebrated to this day. 
So let's begin our journey with the state of Campeche. It once had the world's largest oil field in the Cantarell complex, which extracted about 2.1 million barrels of oil per day, which made it, at least for a few decades, the wealthiest of the 32 federal states in Mexico. Campeche's extensive coastline faces the Gulf of Mexico, but it also has many rivers, lagoons and waterfalls that create micro-regions of marshes, mangroves, tropical forests, wetlands, savannas and estuaries. These incredibly abundant natural resources have also fallen prey to overexploitation, but have slowly shifted towards a more sustainable form of development. Campeche is home of several Maya-related cultures, such as Quiche, Canjobal, Quechi and Ixil. It also shares cultural regions with the neighboring states of Tabasco, Yucatán, Quintana Roo and Guatemala. Because of its unique coastal geography, Campeche became a place of particular interest for pirates. They used to take refuge in its many bays. Pirates, privateer and buccaneer fleets continuously battled against each other and even attacked the city of Campeche, which is the capital of the state, in countless occasions, so much so that the whole city had to be walled to protect its citizens from the constant attacks of Francis Drake, Henry Morgan, John Hawkins, and the infamous Diego Guillo, also known as the Mulatto, and Lewis Scott. Campeche is particularly famous for its lavish seafood cocktails, the delicious and flavorful chili sauces, or recados to fill tamales, and their passion for fierce habanero chiles, which is evident in their fiery salsas and many piquant dishes. But I want to give special mention to two of Campeche's contributions to the world that I'm almost certain that you have never heard of before. Many of you, I'm sure, has enjoyed a boozy mixed drink in a hot afternoon, but I'll tell you a little more about the origins of the name by which we know these sweet and bitter drinks. Legend has it that cocktails were invented in Campeche. Indeed, it turns out that after a couple of centuries of intense commerce and pirate activity, the port city of Campeche has had its fair share of headaches, but also big benefits as well. Thousands of barrels with a precious boozy cargo was often stolen, sold or both, <laughs> but always found its way into the city's legal and illegal trade. From rum to wine, vodka, gin, grog and any throat-burning spirit that English and Dutch pirates used to trade with. All of these drinks, plus more, were widely available at the fine establishments where these gentlemen used to socialize. Bartenders, we assume, had an abundance of drinks of all types, and mixing, watering down and adding fruit juices seemed like a great idea to increase their profits and make those drinks last longer. 
these beverages were indeed proudly served under all sorts of crazy names and mixed using the long feather of a cock's tail. It doesn't take much to put two and two together and to see why these drinks shaken with a cock's tail became very popular until this very day, but we simply call them cocktails. The second product that is native to this region is natural rubber, particularly the sap of the rubber tree and the traditional ingredient to make bubblegum. Yeah, that hideous substance we all manage to get all over our faces and hair is actually a direct descendant of the Mayan chicle or chewing gum. Modern day chewing gum has a more recent history and you can read more about it if you head to this episode's blog post on my website. In the ancient world, the sap of the rubber tree was used by the Olmec, Maya and Aztec tribes for many purposes. It was used as a binding agent to build tools, balls for ritualistic games and was certainly used as chewing gum, except it had no particular flavor and it was really, really tough. In fact, every time I've tried it, I can hear my jaw clicking. The food traditions we find today in Campeche were shaped by the indigenous legacy and the input of Spanish conquistadors, pirates, merchants from around the world, African slaves, and more recently, since the 18th century, by Lebanese, Chinese, and Korean immigrants. Some classic dishes of this coastal state are inevitably inspired by its abundance of seafood prepared in many ways, but always honoring the freshness of the ingredients, which is why cocktails, fried fish, crab and fish stews pair incredibly well with fresh and fiery habaneros, anato seed marinades and aromatic herbs like hoja santa, which is regionally known as momo leaf. The second stop in our journey is the beautiful state of Chiapas. Its incredible natural beauty and resources are comparable to its enormous cultural diversity and history. Chiapas' unique geography gives it access to the Pacific Ocean, and a large border in the south is shared with the neighboring country of Guatemala. While the enormous Sierra Madre de Chiapas and its mountain ranges frame most of the territory, other highlands and dramatic landscapes are responsible for creating the rainforest, estuaries, coastal mangroves and mountain forests. There are 46 protected natural areas of outstanding beauty, and some of these are biosphere reserves. And this region alone contains 60% of Mexico's tropical tree species and has one of the largest diversities in wildlife in the Americas. Ocelots, howling monkeys, quetzal, jaguar, panthers, deer and crocodile still roam freely in the jungles, lakes and mangroves of Chiapas. 
As I talked about on episode 34, coffee was introduced into the state of Chiapas in the late 1700s and has ever since been a major crop in this region. The premium quality and flavor of its coffee are recognized worldwide and constitute a major source of income for the state. Chiapas is home of one of the most fascinating civilizations in history, the Maya, which remains covered by a veil of mysticism. More than 50% of the total population of this state is indigenous, and they are direct descendants of the Maya, Chiapa, and Mije Soque tribes. Some of the still existing indigenous groups in Chiapas are Choles, Zoque, Tzetzal, Tzotzil, Mocho, Mames, Tojolabal, Jacalteco, Chichkel, Motocintla, and Chuj. Famously, the Lacandon tribe, who lives in the tropical rainforest of Chiapas, still continues to carry on ancient agricultural practices, and by hunting and foraging, their diet is particularly diverse and they use their vast knowledge of the native vegetation to find food, like the many mushrooms they eat, such as kikintag, yasha, kanchai, kanzuj, ujam, and olomatzog. Most of the meat that the lacandon consume comes from fishing and hunting animals such as deer, armadillo, monkeys, tapir, and birds. In the urban areas of Chiapas, the cuisine is predominantly mixed heritage, just like the rest of the country. The crops, animals, and cooking techniques that were introduced in the colonial period continuously transformed with the influence of the foods of immigrants like German Mennonites, who famously prepare delicious cheeses and bread. Korean, Japanese, and Chinese diasporas have also contributed with their own additions. In Chiapas alone, there are over a hundred different types of tamales that reflect the flavors and influences of centuries of trade. Some of them contain pork, beef, saffron, mole, and a herb known as chipilin. Another famous dish is shuti soup, a regional delicacy prepared with river snails. And of course, apart from Chiapas' own delicious coffee, cold taxcalate is widely popular. This pre-Columbian drink is prepared with corn flour, anato paste, cocoa, cinnamon, water, and sugar, and is as refreshing as it is delicious. We will return with the second part of this episode after the break. Sabor, this is Mexican food, is a digital editorial project that celebrates the wonderful world of Mexican gastronomy, the flavors, ingredients, and traditions that have shaped this world-acclaimed cuisine. And now you can purchase and download a bundle containing all four available issues, the origins, go-go, street food, and Mexican fiestas. Enjoy 23 thought-provoking articles and stunning photography that opens a window to understand and appreciate Mexico's rich culinary traditions. 
and unveil the secrets to prepare 43 delicious recipes that bring families together and will help you enjoy the making of your own traditions. Go to pastachipotle.com forward slash magazine and get your bundle of sabor. Enjoy it in all your digital devices. Go to pastachipotle.com forward slash magazine and get ready to cook, learn and enjoy Mexican food like you've never imagined. North to Chiapas is the small state of Tabasco. While the significantly compact territory of Tabasco doesn't remotely share the dramatic landscapes of its neighboring states, it is part of the area where the Olmec, also called the Mother Culture, flourished. Dubbed as the Eden State for its biodiversity and intensely hot and humid climate, the main indigenous groups that still live in this area are the Chontal, Chool, Tzetzal, and Tzotzil. One of Tabasco's most famous dishes is peje lagarto. Peje lagarto is a type of fish that is eaten fried in soup, tamales, and stews. Plantain nuggets, which are one of my favorite comfort foods, can be filled with means, beans, or with cheese. And they're a popular homestyle dish served with fresh cream and crumbled cheese. Tortillas fried in garlic oil are a love street food in Tabasco, stuffed with beans, shrimp or fish, and topped with queso, that is cheese, salsa, and more fried garlic. There are also many dishes of indigenous origins that are still prepared and consumed today, and they preserve their original names, which I will attempt to pronounce. I have practiced a lot, but here we go. One is Chikpewag, or red tamal, and Betektoshikbek. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, my Mayan is not very good. But this is a tamal made with chaya leaves. Chaya leaves are native to this region and hugely popular in all of the southern states of Mexico. But I have to say that cocoa is the most celebrated regional crop of Tabasco because this area is part of the emblematic cradle of the domestication of this tree and its importance to the culinary, economic and cultural history of Mexico is almost as transcendent as corn itself. Understandably, many drinks in Tabasco are prepared using cocoa in many forms. A very popular drink is pozol, which is slightly sour because it's a little bit fermented and is made with corn masa and the flavor is slightly tangy. Polvillo is a cocoa powder mixed with toasted cornmeal used to prepare hot or cold milky chocolate or watery chocolate. And the last popular drink I want to mention is called cicada, which is made with the toasted and ground shells of cocoa beans. Because of course it's such a delicious and important crop that really nothing goes to waste. Continuing our journey to the far east of Mexico, we arrive in the state of Yucatan. Ah, please note that here in Mexico we don't ever say the Yucatan. Just as you didn't say the New York or the London, just say Yucatan, that it's okay. Yucatan's distinctive geography was shaped 
thousands of years ago by the impact of a large meteorite that hit the peninsula and created a chain of events that culminated in the extinction of hundreds of small and giant species of dinosaurs that used to roam the Earth. There were many consequences of this event, and one of them was the formation of sinkholes, also known as cenotes in Mexico, which are enormous caves that were flooded from the ground up with the water of underground rivers, estuaries, and some have fresh and ocean water from the Mexican Caribbean. Yucatan is one of the most popular tourist destinations in the country, with its turquoise and white beaches, charming magical colonial towns, and cities like Izamal, Mérida, and Valladolid. And there are also extraordinary places of enormous historical relevance, like the Mayan archaeological sites of Chichen Itza, Uxmal, Ekbalam, Mayapan, Cabá, and Lapna. The Spanish conquest of the territory took place at the beginning of the 1500s, but by then the large cities, temples and urban settlements of the Maya splendor had long been abandoned. Of the many theories that surround the sudden and mysterious disappearance of the Maya cities, it's commonly understood that it was a mix of events and circumstances that forced the Maya to abandon their once prosperous and powerful cities. A growth in population, the overexploitation of natural resources, and a dramatic change in the weather patterns caused a decline in the natural sources of food. Droughts and loss of crops also marked a journey of no return for thousands of Mayans. But the indigenous people that stayed behind in their territory eventually had to face the brutal Spanish invasion and subsequent domination. Along the 19th century, and with the construction of rail tracks and the boom of the cotton and Eneken agave industries that produce ropes and sacks, Yucatan became the final destination for many immigrants from Italy, Korea, Japan, China, France, America and Germany. There is a big range of staple ingredients in the Yucatecan cuisine, but not all of them are in fact native from this land. For instance, sour oranges, limes and all citrus fruits, they are in fact native to the Far East, China and the Southeast regions of Asia. It turns out that the same silk and spice roots that Europeans used to exchange products with the Far East also brought them sugarcane, citrus, fruits and many ingredients that were introduced to Europe and eventually made their way into the New World. Cattle, chicken and pork were the most successful farming animals that adapted from Europe into this tropical paradise and remain popular to this day. But... Achiote, or anato seeds, hoja santa, habanero chiles, yams, fruits like zapote, yucatan plum, and nanche are some of the many popular regional crops. Of the dozens of fascinating and unique cooking methods in the Yucatecan traditions, here are just some of them. Sopa de lima, 
This is a type of chicken soup garnished with wedges of lima fruit, which is sweeter than lime and slightly more sour than oranges. Cochinita pibil is a juicy pulled pork lavishly marinated with red anato paste, the juice of sour oranges flavored with spices and served with pickled red onion and habanero chiles. Sikilpak is a salsa made with toasted and ground pumpkin seeds, tomatoes, habaneros, cilantro, and onion. On a technical note, this is not the same as pico de gallo salsa, because sikilpak contains a very thick and oily paste made of ground pumpkin seeds. Tikinchik is a marinated fish with a sour sauce that is wrapped with fresh banana leaves and baked. It cooks very slowly in its own juices as it slowly steams in the leaves. The addictive marquesitas are a sort of crisp version of crepes and they can be sweet or savory. And last, from Yucatan, I want to mention a delicious stuffed cheese prepared with savory mince inside a giant Edam-style cheese. The last and further southeastern state of Mexico is Quintana Roo. It borders with Yucatan and Campeche on the west and with Belize in the south. And all of its seaside is known as Costa or Riviera Maya. While you might not be familiar with the name of this state, you definitely have heard of its world-famous beaches like Cancun, Playa del Carmen, Puerto Morelos, Tulum, and the beautiful Bacalar Lagoon. In many ways, this is the youngest state of Mexico. It was added to the country in 1902 and granted statehood in 1974. Prior to that, it had been an independent Maya territory that was on and off considered as part of Yucatan. It was named after the liberal politician Andrés Eligio Quintana Roo and now is one of the Caribbean's most popular and beautiful destinations. From spring breakers, party animals, honeymooners, bohemians, glam campers and experimental restaurateurs like René Redzepi, people from all over the world come to enjoy the outstanding beauty of Quintana Roo. The food of this area is not surprisingly heavily influenced by the Maya traditions, but has been also enriched by other cuisines from nearby states, which is why some shared popular street foods are salbutes, papazules and panuchos, all made with corn masa and stuffed or covered and served with different spicy toppings. Sea snail, octopus and other types of ceviches are really popular. Chirmol or chirmole is a dish similar to mole, which has a less thick texture but is flavorful and really aromatic. Onitsikil is somehow similar to pipián verde, because it's also made with ground pumpkin seeds, hoja santa leaves, tomatillo and chiles. But onisekil is spiced with thyme, coriander and bay leaves. 
deep down in the rural towns in Quintana Roo. You can still find many Mayan communities that preserve many of their old traditions such as the milpa crop system and also foraging and harvesting honey from Melipona wild bees or as it is called in Mayan, Shunan Cab, which means the lady of honey. This honey can have a slightly acidic taste but has an overwhelmingly floral smell and flavor. It's almost like you are eating the jungle. As you've heard today, and with the previous first part of the culinary regions, there is no doubt that in the 761,606 square miles of the Mexican territory, there are many micro-culinary universes that are uniquely fascinating and reflect the diverse sources of food that Mexico's biodiversity has to offer. The food of the southeast of Mexico and the peninsula of Yucatan is vibrant, fresh and colorful, and it truly brings together the sea with the land. And with this, we say goodbye to this region and prepare for our next stop. Thank you for listening. This episode was written and produced by me, Rocío Carvajal. You can listen to previous episodes and enjoy extra content on pasachipotle.com. And of course, you can subscribe through any of your favorite podcast apps to get the new episodes delivered straight to your phone. Get news and exclusive material and updates about the show and my upcoming projects by subscribing absolutely for free to my newsletter. Find the link on this episode's description and on pasachipotle.com and receive a welcome gift to get you enjoying Mexican food right away. There is two great episodes lined up. To celebrate the podcast 40th episode, I will be talking all things Frida Kahlo with anthropologist Suzanne Barbesat, author of the bestseller book Frida Kahlo at Home. And after that, we move ahead exploring Mexico's gastronomic regions, this time featuring the Huasteca, where cheerful music, dances and plentiful feasts await for us. Send me your comments, questions or simply reach out to say hi. All the links to my social media are in this episode's description. Well, that's it for this week, my friends. Until the next time.